Welcome to Mission Driven, a conversation about how startups leverage their social mission as competitive advantage. Mission Driven is hosted by Better Ventures, a seed stage venture fund in Oakland, California, backing entrepreneurs using science and technology to address the world's biggest challenges. You can find us on the web at better.bc and on Twitter at Better Ventures. I'm Rick Moss from Better Ventures, and I'm here today with Mina Sankaran, founder and CEO of water analytics company Ketos. The water analysis industry today is slow and expensive. It costs hundreds of dollars to get your test back in days or even weeks. Meanwhile, Ketos is doing the same thing for pennies in real time on an ongoing basis, unmanned throughout customers' water networks. In addition to that, and why we're excited to have Mina here today is she's built a really high performance culture by leveraging her social mission. If you are crazy enough to think that you want to become an entrepreneur and you really want to be mindful of all the sacrifices you're going to make, you might as well make every moment so priceless and so invaluable that everybody around you truly gets integrated and motivated enough that your idea becomes a movement. Mina grew up in India. She moved to Texas to get her engineering degree. She worked at some of Silicon Valley's top companies. And she has a deep passion for water and decided to start Ketos. Welcome, Mina. So tell us just a bit, what is Ketos? And how did it all get started? Well, first off, thank you for having me over. Really appreciate the opportunity. If you'd asked me 15 years ago, Mina, are you going to start a company now that you've graduated in the US? I would have said, I don't know, maybe someday. The vision wasn't clear. It was discover as you go. But I think the some of the roots that you build as you're a child in India and you're growing through different sort of upbringing. For me, water was something very personal and experiencing sort of how you use water, whether it's filtered, unfiltered, or even having access to water in a very limited form, probably an hour a day for kind of majority of your life is something that most people don't think about. And we're quite privileged now if I think about, I'm limited to an hour of water today, I, I don't know what I would accomplish. The aspect of leveraging the best technology and the incredible advancements that have happened over the decades to apply towards problems like the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the water that we drink, fundamental challenges was something very, very core to my heart. Personally, reached an inflection point around 2012, 2013, where I thought, what's the point if I just kept making technology better, but instead I could apply lessons learned towards an application that had not just a massive market and a huge commercial viability, but actually had a broader impact. Mm -hmm. What would that sense of fulfillment be? Mm -hmm. And that was becoming more and more important to me. Because traditionally you would think, okay, let's be part of startups and become financially free and then just go do some philanthropic mm -hmm. work. But what if you made your day-to-day -day work itself meaningful in a manner mm -hmm. that you're not just applying your strengths and your technology, but applying it towards causes that kind of give you the best of both. Mm -hmm. If you have that, it's no longer a job. Mm -hmm. And it actually becomes a life experience. And I think you start thinking about success differently because yeah. then you start measuring success differently. Right. You're not set about some end goal Every day is measured through small milestones and small successes and mm -hmm. small, simple celebrations. And I think that's where 
you truly realize life is a journey and mm-hmm. not running towards a destination. And I think keto has come as a result of all of that. I was going to chime in to say doing good for your day job. But what you're really saying is even beyond that, which is doing good for your life. Because yeah. at some point, it does, it's not a job anymore. You're on a mission I mean, to do something special. If you are crazy enough to think that you want to become an entrepreneur and you really want to be mindful of all the sacrifices you're going to make, you might as well make every moment so priceless and so invaluable that everybody around you truly gets integrated and motivated enough that your idea becomes a movement. So say a bit about what Ketos is. What's the problem you solve? Why is it special? The current water industry is really fragmented. A um, lot of legacy industries, a lot of different technology in- innovations are happening. There's a huge movement and water industry is sort of the cusp of that industrial automation. And what Ketos is really doing is it's bringing an intersection of water with smart connected networks and bringing about that data analytics and very sophisticated enterprise-grade smart water data management and predictive intelligence that doesn't exist today. And in order to get that level of data, whether it's machine learning and AI, you need to have a hardware that's capable of detecting at that level of predictability. And so we patented and built really innovative hardware that can essentially detect in a very modular manner an aggregate of different types of toxins in water a continuous way, which can provide advanced diagnostics, early warning, so that you're truly empowering operators. This is not for your end consumer in a home, but think about the industrial, the agriculture. That's 90% of the water. In a nutshell, we're truly bringing about water intelligence for operators in a way that businesses, industrial users can truly rethink how to use water and understand their water for their own benefit. There are a massive amount of use cases. As a startup in the water industry, the two biggest challenges are focusing on that niche where you can truly showcase a product market value with a very immediate sense of ROI for this very slow-moving industry to kind of grapple towards that Mm -hmm. idea of a new technology Mm -hmm. and take that on. And then the second aspect would be shifting the mindset of people because it's not for lack of technology, but truly about changing the culture and the mindset of the people in this industry towards adoption of technologies Mm -hmm. like this. And Mm -hmm. it's happening. It's happening. We have brought down the cost of sampling from hundreds of dollars that people would do a single test sample Mm -hmm. to a few cents. And what I'm trying to shift in terms of the mindset is the frequency of testing. People have kept that frequency because they were mandated to, or the cost of the lab sample was so high priced. If a customer is able to get the lab precision accuracy and they can quantify the data and understand what is in their water enough to know they can make a shift in their own process Mm -hmm. control or their own raw material, then you've actually made a dent. Mm-hmm. And in my view, I think you have the potential to really revolutionize an industry that's, that's pretty stodgy and crusty and, and slow. Let's turn toward our whole point here is to discuss how you can leverage your social mission for competitive advantage as a company. So let's dig into that a bit, maybe starting with fundraising. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of a knife's edge where entrepreneurs try to dance where they don't want to overplay their hand, they don't want to underplay their hand. Can you think of a a time when it really worked to your favor and or maybe a time when it it didn't? Lots of fun stories. 
I think it's a discovery process. And for everyone who's going through this, I think it's kind of tricky because if you're coming from a traditional tech background, you have a sense of what the tech VCs are looking for in general. But it's not a very clear delineation between here's what the tech VCs want and here's what impact VCs want because you have to understand the investors and evaluate them on your own. And you have to go through that vetting process for your own business. Investing, the amount of time you need to invest in your messaging and your narrative in the early stages, it's absolutely worth every penny. If I had to go back, I would spend extra time on that messaging and narrative before I went and had those trials and hits and misses. Talk about one or two of those trials. So like one example was where an investor was a tech investor and I had my separate deck for the tech investor because one of my advisors said, Mina, have two decks. Two decks. And as contradictory, it was for how I wanted to position it. I kind of took the guidance of this advisor Mm. and I said, okay, this deck is talking about water in its commercial sense and the problem solving. Mm. And then I had this other deck about the potential impact of how many people were dying and so I walked into the tech investor and I pitch and he sort of kept looking at me. And then, he, and then in the middle of it, he said, Mina, what's your drive for all this? And I just like went, I jumped on my chair right, with the right. excitement because I didn't think that was going to happen. He right. opened a window for me. Right. And I started talking about the why, the mission and my vision, not just from a strategy standpoint, but why I was doing this. And I didn't think he would care. And as soon as I started saying that, I felt the energy shift in the room. And maybe this was a one-off, but what it made me realize is don't completely dismiss Mm -hmm. or don't completely discount the fact of the power of your why. Your Mm -hmm. story of why you're doing something as an entrepreneur is Mm -hmm. the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You may shorten it. You can kind of be more succinct about it to a tech investor and you can kind of elaborate a little more Mm on the impact investor about it. But I think balance is the key. Everything has to be in moderation. Mm -hmm. You have to show the aspect of the narrative in terms of the why. You want to show the what. You want to show the how. Mm -hmm. Because another alternate example is while I spoke to the tech investor and after he realized my mission, my follow-up was a full partnership meeting. Wow. Which I didn't think was going to happen with him. And And you don't think that might have happened if you hadn't probably not sort of stumbled into the mission. Probably not, because I think while he saw the returns were possible and I checked a couple of boxes on the commercial viability, I think the mission hit a personal point for him that he probably saw that I do have the resilience to take this forward. And Mm -hmm. that resilience comes from a strong place of the why. Mm -hmm. Because when it's really going bad and when every door is closing on you. That point of why and the drive inside mm-hmm. you is the only thing that's going to carry you forward to have that face in front of your entire team because they're all looking at you and feeding off of your energy. Yeah. Um, and I think that is very, very crucial. So the lesson was don't go in thinking one deck versus another of impact versus tech, but truly blend. And then when I shifted gears, it made a massive difference for me. Because one, I understood that, yes, there is a difference between the two types of investing, but it's not in how you want to pitch it. It's in the minimum amount of milestones you need to achieve in Mm -hmm. order to attract them. And in order for them to feel significantly Mm de-risked. There is a double standard, but recognize it, start optimizing for it. And it actually helped because now... You're not getting upset or frustrated. You completely focus on the execution. 
go hard at it, be creative about how you're going to get to the milestones, bootstrap it if it need to, and then go get yourself an oversubscribed seed round because you would have hit it all. Right. And I think that's the way to look at it. And no two decks. You probably do want to recognize your audience and maybe bend it a little way one way or the other. But I think what you're saying is you have a unified pitch that you think works for both and it is what it is. And that you're looking for investors who like that. Stick to your authenticity. Stick to your authenticity. Stick to your true self. And what I would recommend is do your research, read up on the bio of the person you're going to meet, the Mm -hmm. specific partner that you're interested. In fact, if you think there's another partner who resonates with your messaging a lot more within the same investor Uh group, feel free to reach out. There Uh is nothing to lose. They need you as much as you need them. Uh So they're looking for those good entrepreneurs as much as you're looking for strong partnerships. And I think you should not sell yourself short. Perfect. Let's talk a bit about culture. You clearly care quite a bit about the people on your team and you've built an amazing culture. So to what extent do you think you've been able to leverage your social mission and building a culture and how has that turned into an advantage for you? I think most often than not probably in Silicon Valley, most of all, we're running so hard that we don't realize how important it is to take a moment, pause, and really make sure we're appreciating the people around us. And I believe with all my heart, 100%, that I am where I am with Ketos and where we are as a company purely because of the team. And I agree. I mean, we have a fantastic advisory ecosystem, amazing support system from investors, but all these people would not have come together if it was not for the strength of the people that they saw that was being formed in this unit. Mm -hmm. And I think culture is at the nucleus. You don't want to over-engineer it, but at the same time, you want to make sure the value system that you're building for your companies, every single person in your team, especially the first 10, the first 25, the first 40, they're becoming the ambassadors, the Mm -hmm. pillars of how this company's foundation is going to be laid out and carry that forward. And so the amount of effort you put into your team and your culture is never, ever going to be wasted. Mm -hmm. As much as you think that, I don't have time for this. I'm mm-hmm. running at 200 miles per hour. Right. I mean, I don't have time for team offsites and, right. and doing all this goofy right. stuff. Yeah, it's a happy hour. Done. Over. As much as you think of it as a checkbox, don't think. Mm-hmm. It is not waste of time. Mm-hmm. You are contributing massively to their efficiency, their productivity, mm-hmm. and their overall happiness. And how are you measuring your employee happiness? Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing performance reviews, but that's on their work. But how are you truly measuring your employee mm-hmm. happiness? I fundamentally care about whether my employees are happy. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that every employee feels truly empowered in a way that they can be completely creative because if they're creative, then I'm doing my job Mm -hmm. of letting Mm -hmm. them achieve their true potential Mm -hmm. because that in by itself is going to help me solve very complex problems. So, And talk about how how mission kind of weaves in there. Like to what degree are, are they happy and productive because they are behind the the mission of the organization and the problem you're trying to solve in the world. Let me give you an example. So mission is everything because back in 2015 and 2016, when I was still trying to bootstrap, there was no funding to pay for an employee salary or an employee pay. And at that point, I needed people. I needed really brilliant, interdisciplinary, cross-functional scientists and and engineers. And this is not something that, you know, they're just waiting around for a job. 
And when I landed up meeting, I knew I had one. I took them as seriously as an investor meeting. Mm -hmm. I took it as me interviewing an employee because that person is evaluating me to think that, should I go work for this person? Mm -hmm. I took it as my interview as much as me interviewing right, that right. person. Okay. Because why should they come work for me? I mean, you, every right. entrepreneur should ask themselves this question. Why should someone mm -hmm. come work for you? And how did you do that? And so I sat down with this person and he had 22 plus years of experience in a very reputed R&D Institute in the Valley. And he was excelling in his space. And I knew that his skill set was something that was invaluable for what I was trying to build. And I sat down. Now, he has a wife. He has two kids under 10. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how can he quit his job and join my company? And plus the risk is massive because, you know, it's not just your risk. He's taking the risk and mm -hmm. you kind of have to acknowledge that and value that. So when I started talking to him and what I realized fundamentally is how companies sometimes don't appreciate and undervalue some of their key players. And I thought to myself, I'm going to make sure that every person who's ever felt undervalued, underappreciated, I'm going to empower them to their fullest potential. Mm -hmm. So the first thing was truly believing in what he could do, having mm -hmm. faith in his capabilities and giving him the opportunity to make sure that his swim lane could be as broad or as narrow as he wanted to be mm -hmm. and offering him an opportunity and seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. And and so um, you believe in him and you're demonstrating that. And yes. Why does he believe in you and, and That's the organization? A risk. What is it that makes him want to come on board and work for a company when the he could be making four times as much at uh, some big... Three uh, things. Yeah. The belief that he can directly make a difference. Uh -huh. Second, that his contributions and the challenges that... He, because you have to realize scientists and engineers love being challenged. Yeah. They thrive on the aspect of intellectually stimulating mm -hmm. them to mm -hmm. solve problems but also being rewarded for that while being creative. And so the aspect of his direct contributions, not just going to a white paper, but his direct contributions actually making into a commercial product, mm -hmm. that could go save lives or make a difference in some other place. And I think the other part that we connected is he came from a very modest upbringing and he realized the fundamental essence of how important water is. Right. And the first thing he told me is, you know, wars are going to be fought in the future over water. And I cannot imagine a better opportunity for me to right. put my skills to, but I'm going to have to talk to my wife. Yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So while mission takes you as far as it takes yeah. you, you have to remember there are other places. And right. I, I will say that this individual has been with me ever since that first day that's I amazing. met him. Right. He worked for a whole year on equity basis and then yeah. The day our funding, seed funding closed, yeah. he quit that company while they made several counter offers, even higher than what I had offered him. Yeah. And he said, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I'm not walking away from it. I'm going to take wow. that chance. And he jumped in within 30 days. Wow. So to me, that's a role model of someone who truly believed in the mission and took that chance on me. And my job as a CEO is to not let that person down. That's amazing. Then once people like that are hired, you're really nurturing this connection to each other and to the, the mission of the company. Can you talk about that? Sure. When you think about teams like Keto's, we have an R&D team that has material scientists, physicists, chemists. You have a hardware team that's electromechanical robotic engineers. You have a software team that's cloud architects and data scientists. 
all these folks would have never met otherwise in instead of this interdisciplinary type of team that we've built. Age groups are anywhere from 20s to late 60s, mm-hmm. early 70s. So you're talking about multi-generational, multi-ethnic, like complete different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Communication is everything in terms of how they work together, how they trust each other, how they rely on each other. So I think taking the time to build relationships and bonds in a way that become more meaningful mm-hmm. and alignment. Mm-hmm. So I don't look at it as an, an offsite, an annual offsite that we do every year as just something that we're going to go and hang out. Yeah, hang out. <laughs> I think what's more important is how we truly strengthen that relationship, that bond, repair relationships yeah. even if yeah. that has to happen and be the facilitator mm-hmm. and be that nucleus to bring everyone together mm-hmm. so that And I have seen such a night and day difference. So how do you do that? Well, I get very excited about the offsites. It's kind of like a little pet project for me where every year I design the entire annual offsite start to finish. And it's kind of a surprise for the team. They all tease me like, are you going to text us the message like 24 hours before or as we start driving in, in a direction that you tell us, go north, you know? One year we did a Yosemite. Last year I took them to Carmel. Mm -hmm. And this year we did Lake Tahoe. And by the way, we're not staying in some 50 rooms or something. Yosemite, we booked a log cabin. Everybody had bunk beds. Wow. But it shows you multiple things. One, how you assimilate in a team, mm-hmm. how you reset expectations, how you learn to be frugal and do more with less, mm-hmm. how you understand that your team is a family. Mm-hmm. And how you nurture that family with its good, bad, ugly is very, very mm-hmm. important. The second part is really thinking about how much are they willing to step out of their comfort zone in terms of emotions Mm -hmm. and breaking that barrier beyond just being superficial. I think a lot of barriers melted and the team really strengthened in terms of the relationship with each other. And here's where it helps you. You come back, you have a customer issue, Mm -hmm. you have an issue that is taking days to resolve and people are working 15 hour days in the lab and that's when you see that working because instead of blaming each other or losing it or being on the edge, people are putting their heads together because the underlying foundation is of implicit trust that Mm -hmm. everyone's intent is the same, Mm -hmm. is to make keto successful and march in the same direction. I think you cannot just achieve that overnight. Mm -hmm. It has to be instilled. And a couple of things that I've done, which have taken it beyond the team is we celebrate every simple milestone regardless of where Ketos goes in the future and what happens as much as I have my vision and strategy, I truly believe that every person in the team has done their incredible part in making the company as successful as it is today so far. And I think that needs to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. If not, you're all just running in this crazy rat race and everyone's going to get disappointed Mm -hmm. at some point because you're all trying to reach some dangling carrot that may or may not even exist. Right. And that's where the mission is a make Mm -hmm. or break. And if I'm hiring the people that I'm hiring and the team hires the people, I've heard my team kind of talk about all these values when I'm not there. And that's when I know it's hit the point because they're talking about our company values to the new person coming Mm -hmm. in. Everyone's become super protective. They want to make sure that as you blow this balloon up and you're really scaling up, it's scaling up right. You don't want to go so fast that you're not building it solid enough to last. Essentially, I think that's where the culture and the mission come together. And the one last thing I wanted to say on that is, you know, I 
take that family step to the next level in the sense that I believe if I have 20 male engineers and, and people working as hard as they do, a lot of the credit goes to their spouses. It's the amount of sacrifices that the spouses are making for mm-hmm. the kind of time. The, mm-hmm. So I do something with the spouses twice a year mm-hmm. and their children. We started calling them Keto's kids. Twice because, a year. Yeah, twice a year. Once in Christmas. And exactly. you know, you can do simple things. So yeah. for example, we got a great break on Cirque du Soleil. Uh-huh. And I took all the spouses out for Cirque du Soleil. Uh-huh. And what, two hours? I think it makes a big difference because you you are appreciating them. You're mm-hmm. thanking them for what they're doing and how they're influencing them. And, you know, it's the time because building a startup from scratch is not mm-hmm. easy and you cannot do it alone. You cannot succeed alone. And so I think when people feel valued, when people mm-hmm. feel appreciated, it's the core essence of human nature to want to give back mm-hmm. more. And I've always believed that if you can give more than what you get, you're, you're already making a difference within your team. I think the bigger part that I've always had so much joy are the Keto's kids. Kids get a spot to speak in our Christmas party. And one of the kids from the kids table gets to give a speech. And by the way, there are always many takers. And trust me, no adult wants to follow after the kid has given a speech because (laughs) they crush it. And so I think that level of involvement in turn helps the company's longer term growth. And if someone thinks about a better opportunity, they're not just going to look at the mm-hmm. paycheck. I think that's what you're doing is you're distinguishing yourself beyond just a paycheck or a mortgage. I think if there's someone listening from a traditional water company who may be one of <laughs> your competitors, <laughs> they should be very, very worried because you're building something really special. And I think you're going to maybe be as productive as three times that many people. It's pretty amazing. Is there anything else in terms of words of wisdom for when you interview someone or something kind of more tactical you do that helps your mission sell the company to them? Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. We've had our hits. We've had our misses in terms of hiring. The first thing I ask people during interviews, what's your trigger for the change? If you're trying to leave your current job, mm-hmm. it tells me a lot about what their motivations are. Mm -hmm. And then I usually ask them straight up front, what do you need from your employer in your next job to be happy? What motivates you? What are some of the things that really drive you in terms of wanting to go to work or wanting to make a difference? And what do you want to accomplish in your life in the next few years? So I ask sort of pretty vague questions that Mm -hmm. are not related to ketos at all, but Mm -hmm. are related to understanding who I'm talking with Mm -hmm. and who that person is. And if some person keeps giving me technical answers, then I know that they've really not kind of gone deep enough to realize what ticks for them. I put a lot more weight in our decision-making on the attitude Mm -hmm. more than the aptitude. Mm -hmm. What I commit to them is as a CEO of the company, I care about where the company leads us, how the company's vision is fulfilled, how I'm executing to our milestones. And I want to make sure that there is enough transparency in the company that at any point, if anyone has a concern, they're not afraid to come to me. Mm -hmm. And even in the engineering meetings, I actually do it as a good, bad, and ugly. What I mean by that is I want people to feel comfortable immediately walking into a meeting and saying, Mina, we have three uglies. We need to solve them now. I'd rather know about it now than 
finding out about it because it's getting shoved under the rug because someone is scared to bring it up. And that's not the culture we want to create. So the bad gets addressed, the ugly gets addressed, and we all celebrate the good. But that's how we structure it. And I think it it's made us move at a very fast pace and especially a lot faster for what a water industry is typically used to, right, for sure. Right. Let's turn to your vision for the future. When mm-hmm. you think ahead several years to what Ketos can become, both from a sort of commercial and product perspective, but also from a mission perspective, what, what do you see? I mean, there's no shortage of challenges. Right now, two-thirds of our employees are in San Jose, headquartered here, and one-third of our team is distributed across seven to eight states in the U.S. So already making sure as we grow and scale and keeping that culture consistent and making sure the alignment Mm -hmm. is always there. From a market adoption, we're seeing really great successes in the industrial and the ag sector. Mm -hmm. Trailing with the municipality sector, I think it's just a slower adoption curve relative to industrial. The vision for Quito's is really seeing massive amounts of our hardware deployed. And hardware is just a means to getting that really, really priceless data. Mm -hmm. The value of our data and the intelligence we derive from correlating it with seasonality and the water quality and applying it towards specific verticals as well as public health and really being able to give the intelligence that we're doing today is, is just never being done. I was just doing quarterly reporting and I just came across the fact that we have crossed 3 million data points of water testing in Mm -hmm. just a matter of the last couple of years. And that's more data points of testing that has been done across all 50 states of US in the past 18 years. Wow. And that will just continue to compound as you... That is going to massively compound because we just have, you know, a few few hundred deployments at this point. And now you're talking about thousands of deployments growing and scaling. And I think we're going to see a massive shift in the mindset because when everything is revolutionized in terms of technology, why should the water management be left behind? I mean, uh-huh. we're not thinking about our health and water somehow gets you know left behind like this ignored stepchild, yeah. lagging behind even compared to energy. So I really believe that water is something that's going to be uh, a lot for people to solve for next few decades to come. All right. Talk about your personal mission. If uh, if I were to say Mina is on Ooh. a mission to, how would you, how would you complete that? Mission to transform businesses and people in terms of how they think about water one drop at a time. That's great. Okay. Mina Sankaran, founder and CEO of Kidos, on a mission to transform business and people and how they think about water one drop at a time. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Mission Driven. To find out more about Better Ventures, visit us at better.vc or on Twitter at Better Ventures.